Week three of the series, The War Within. It makes me want to talk with that. Have you seen that commercial? And um, there's, there's a guy playing a video game. Um, any, video, any gamers in the room? I know we've got a few. I know a few of you. Uh, any gamers? Um, and he's talking in this deep voice, and his wife or sister or somebody, I don't know who it is, says, why do you keep talking like that? And he goes, like what? Because <laughs> he's talking like the video. That's how I feel like our series should be, The War Within. That's like this big, dramatic, uh, Star Wars kind of a thing. And, and what, we're, what we're talking about, what we're getting at, is this, this war that's going on within each one of us. This, this struggle, and it's, I think it's common to all of humanity. I don't think any of us is alone in the, in the, in the, the struggle, the war that's going on within us, and it's, it's the war between pride and humility. Pride and humility. Um, I, I, I think, for me personally, and I don't want to put this on you, I think this will be a lifelong struggle. I don't think it's a war that you win and walk away from. I think, I think, um, I, I think, and I would say the, the enemy, the evil one, wants to constantly pull us toward being people who are prideful and, 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 and people who lift ourselves above others. I think that will just be a lifelong battle, and there's something within humanity that, that, that kind of leans that direction. But I think God's Spirit does something different, quite different in us. And so I, I want to give you a quick recap, and then we want to get to today, and I'm going to give you some practical things that maybe we can practice this week. Okay, are you with me? Um, now, what's interesting about humility is that, that humility is widely admired. Don't you admire people who are humble? And you see humility in other people, and you quickly go, oh my gosh, I admire that so much. But rarely is humility pursued. We, ad- we admire it so much. We see people who are humble, and, and, and we admire that, but rarely do we want to pursue it because what it costs us. Oof, you didn't want to come today to talk about that, did you? But that's, that's kind of where we're going to lean in. I think Scripture gives us some great pictures of this. Now, we're looking at a, at a book in the Old Testament called 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is a, a, is, is a historic book. And so when you look at this book and read through this book, there's different genres of literature in the Bible. And this one is one of history. So it's walking through some historical things that happened um, in the lives of people and in the world and how God was intervening and working in the lives of people. And... Let me just say up front, I am so thankful for a team here at McDowell that can step up and, and bring the message um, in so many different ways. And two weeks ago, Sarah Weedle, our, our student life director, stood here and she, she helped us understand this picture of, of Hannah. Do you remember this, this story of Hannah in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1? And Hannah wanted a child so badly and just could not could not have a child, like there, it just wasn't happening. And some of you know that struggle. You desperately want something in your life and, and you believe that it would be good and, and you're pursuing that, but there's, there's just something that it doesn't, it's just not clicking yet. And you know what Hannah did? In humility, she goes to God and she begins with prayer. 
And she just pours her heart out to God. And she finds in this, like, turning to God in humility, she finds this great peace. I don't know if you remember when Sarah was talking about it. And Hannah's, you know, like, like rocking back and forth in front of the temple. She's praying and she's pouring her heart out. And Eli the priest, this is just like a pastor or a priest, to think that she's drunk and probably to shoo her away. You're, you know, you're bothering people. Get away. And Hannah's like, oh, I'm not drunk. I, I desperately want a child and I just can't. God hasn't given that to me. And Eli says to her, you know, may God grant you that deep desire within your heart. And in and, and scripture, and Sarah opened this up, um, Hannah walked, walked away feeling this great deal of peace in her heart, having gone to God. And I would encourage us, like, in those moments, and I know some of us in this room, we desperate, there's something we want desperately. I would encourage you to go to God and find the peace that can only come from him. Like, find that with him. And then Cameron, last week, awesome, awesome message. He, he talked about Saul. And if you remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. And Israel wanted a king, and God's like, you've already got a king. It's me. I'm, I'm your God. Like, just, and they're like, no, no, we want a human king. And so, that, you know, it's, it's Saul. They give him Saul. God gives them Saul. And what does Saul do? And this is just like humanity. Saul begins walking with God, but then he builds a statue to who? Himself. Isn't that what we do? We, we, we build a statue. We want people to remember us. And so that's what happens. And, and Saul, actually this, this phrase in scripture, um, God is disappointed that he made Saul king. It's this interesting sentence. God was disappointed that he made Saul king because Saul took this, this humble position that God gave him and he, he thought it was all about him. Listen, I wanna, I wanna tell you, and I don't mean this in like a really harsh way, I just mean it with truth, that whatever position God gives you, whatever position God gives you isn't for your glory, it's for his glory. Come on now, that's a place you can say amen. Whatever position and whatever uh, brilliance and ideas and thoughts and whatever God blesses you with, he doesn't give you for your glory. He gives it to you for his glory. And listen, his glory in your life is much better than your own glory because you'll throw his, your glory away. It'll end up in a train wreck, right? And part of this, this series of moving in a direction towards humility with that internal battle is recognizing and, and recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God. Can I get an amen? I mean, everything that you've been given, everything that we hold, this, like, God's calling in my life to speak has nothing to do with me. It really doesn't. It's only by the grace of God that I've been given the, the abilities to do what I want, and I want to hold that so loosely and trust God with what he's called me to do. And I want, I want the same for you, because I think there's joy, I think there's joy in us reflecting any glory that comes our way for God. You know what I mean? So um, whatever it is that, that God has handed you, hold it humbly and loosely. And let him do something in you that you can't do in yourself. So um, I, I've been looking at this for a while. We've, we, we mapped this series out for a while. And I looked at some social, social psychology. 
and I'm gonna butcher this, but some of you, we've probably got some people in the room who are, who are uh, doctors and maybe some, some counselors who have studied this in the past, but social, social psych, psychology, they use this word or this phrase, um, illusory superiority. Illusory superiority. Some of you maybe have heard this before, and here's the concept. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll get into some research a little bit. It's a cognitive bias in which a person overestimates their qualities and abilities when comparing themselves to other people. That we have this cognitive bias within us to, oh, and, and we, we tend to overestimate ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. Now, this isn't across the board. There are, there are some who don't fall into the same category, but, but uh, psychologists say it, it's really pretty broad, especially, guess where especially this is found? Yes, in the United States. Yeah, yeah, especially in the United States. So they did a study, and um, guess how many uh, in the United States drivers, people who drive cars, how many of you are drivers? How many of you drive a car? Come on, that was a trick question just to see if you're listening. All of you drive a car, except for one in the room that I know doesn't. So everybody else drives a car. And uh, they did some research, and they asked a simple question. How many of you believe you are an above-average driver? Now, average is 50%, right? So how many of you believe that you are above the 50% line, you're an above-average driver? Guess how many Americans say they are above-average drivers? Close, not quite 100, over 90% of us think that we're above average drivers. Now, I've driven next to some of you on the road, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm above average, but I'm better than you, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> and we're about to enter that season again where it's like the other 10% show up in Scottsdale. I don't know what's going on, but... <laughs> No, it's, it's this, uh, this cognitive bias that we have to believe and to think that our ideas, our qualities, our abilities are just a little bit better than those that we're comparing ourselves to. Ah, oh, that's painful to be. And, and so take heart, 90% of the people around you are the same. So it's not just you, it's, it's all of us. And you know what that leads to? What does it lead to? What does it lead to? Pride. It leads to pride. And I think some of that is the enemy or the evil one or, or just broken humanity that speaks in our ear and says things like, you're better than them. You deserve more. You've earned it. Have you ever heard your mind going that direction and it caused you to like puff up? Like, I don't deserve that. that, that I, I've earned this. Anybody with me? That's pride. That's pride rearing its ugly head in our lives. Uh, Shakespeare, Willie Shakespeare said it this way, the fool doth think he is wise. I don't know how you say doth. Doth, 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 does, don? What do you say? The fool thinks he's wise. I'll just change the sentence. But the wise man knows himself to be a fool. 
And I think a, a, a way to understand that is, is to say a, a wise person realizes that everything he or she has is a gift from God. And some of it just a matter of circumstances, that we've been blessed with the right circumstances to be able to achieve what we have achieved, right? So let's look at David. Uh, we've got Saul, King Saul. God is disappointed that he makes Saul the king. And so he sends Samuel, who's like a prophet, to anoint the next king. I'm sad that I made Saul king. We're going to move on to the next one. And so Saul, or, uh, Samuel goes to find the next king. And he goes to a family. The name of the, the, the man, the, the father, is Jesse. So do you remember Jesse in the Old Testament? Jesse is the father of a number of boys. And so Samuel's there. And he's, I'm here to anoint the next king. And Jesse brings his boys in front of Samuel. And you know what he does? Filters them one by one. And my guess is he either filters them by age or by who he thinks should take the next role of king. One by one, Samuel's like, not him. Well, this is my strong son. Not him. Well, this is, this is the smartest son. I know we don't have smartest sons, but this is the smartest sons. And he's like, nope, not him. Not him. Goes through all of them. None of them. Don't you have another son, Jesse? Some of us feel like that sometimes. Wait a minute. <laughs> what about me? Pride again. Don't you have another son somewhere? And it says that David's actually out in the fields taking care of the sheep, doing the work. And Jesse, the father, I mean, I don't know if David ever realized this, but Jesse kind of discounted David as, oh, he's just out there. Oh, it's, that's the young one. You don't want him. He can't be the next king. It's just David. It's just David. And David comes in. And he's the one that God's chosen. And there's this little phrase, I don't know if you've ever read this in scripture, that says this, people judge by outward appearance. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And so often, I find myself creating the outward image, which is pride. Pride wanting to make sure that I appear that I belong or I've earned or I deserve to be in this position or I deserve to be heard or I deserve, there's something like it's, I want to create the image. And we're reminded in this little tiny verse in the story of David that people, us, we judge by outward appearance. You know, you've got that, and you've got that, and I see that in you, and, and so you must be because of what I see here. And it's like, no, no, God sees what's deep within us. God sees what's deep within us, and it, and it calls us to pay attention to the war that's going on within our hearts and to hear what it is that's playing out in, 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 the, in the mind and in the heart that's inside of, of who we are. Now, Samuel anoints David, and, and here's where the humility begins to play out for David, I think. Samuel anoints David as the next king of Israel, which is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And then David just goes back to business. He goes back to work. He doesn't demand something that I can't go back to the fields I, I can't go back to life as, as normal because God has called me to this. No, no, he goes back to work. In fact, Saul, 
it says that Saul has this like something that's tormenting him and he needs relief from it. And you know what he wants? He wants relief from it. And so, you know, he, he wants music because music sometimes brings relief to our souls, doesn't it? Like there's just something about music that like settles us and, and whatever that tormenting thing is within us, like music sometimes we, we escape to it. So guess who, who comes in and plays music for Saul, the king? Who is it? It's David. David played the harp. Even though he was the next king, listen, even though God might have an assignment for you that you haven't yet realized, like the humility of putting yourself underneath those around you until God's timing is fulfilled is important. To humble yourself. And David did that. He humbled himself. He played the, the harp. I do this because I'm not sure how you play the harp, but he played the harp um, and it brought peace to, to Saul and then, David, there's this, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this story in the Bible. You should read your Bible. It's awesome. There's this story about um, a giant named Goliath. Have you ever heard this story? Come on. <laughs> Goliath, and Goliath is taunting the Israelites and just killing them, and the Israelites are terrified of Goliath. And who goes to fight Goliath? Who is it? David, who's just going to deliver some food. He's, he's like a DoorDash driver, and he's going to deliver some food for his brothers, and he comes up, and, and he's like, what, why is everybody so fearful? And they're like, oh, there's this giant, and look, I mean, he's just taunting us, and David's like, well, I'll fight him. And they're like, you can't fight him. Look at what David does. He puts on, uh, like, the king's armor to go fight Goliath, and he kills Goliath with the king's sword, doesn't he? No, 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 no. Because God hasn't called David to be Saul. He's called David to be David. And God hasn't called you to be someone else. And pride tells you you should be someone else or like someone else or better. But God has called you and he's called me to be me. And so David says, I don't want all this stuff. I've got some stones and a slingshot. And I'm pretty sure God can do more with this than I can do with that. And he humbly goes before Goliath, who's taunting him. And he takes what God has put in his hands and he brings down the giant. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. There's like 10 sermons in here right now, right? There's all these things happening, and David is so humble about it. Then David goes and leads a, a, a little battalion to overcome some, some of their enemies, and a song begins to be sung in the land. Saul has killed his thousands, David tens of thousands. Ooh, I just made that up, actually. But there was some sort of a song. David, like the, 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 the statement, the song that was being sung around the land was that Saul had killed thousands, but David, tens of thousands. Can you imagine what this did to Saul? So Saul decides, I'm going to kill David. I'm going to take him out. And I'm the king, so I can do that. So he starts pursuing David. So David has to run and hide in all these caves and in the wilderness. And then there's two days, two opportunities where David walks into the camp of Saul and he cuts the robe of Saul and all of his buddies are like, kill him. David, you're the next king. Let's, let's speed the process along. You know, and his buddies want him to be king so they can be Two in, number two in power, you know, all that. And, and David's like, I will not hurt the Lord's appointed. 
cuts the corner off of his robe and then comes back to Saul and just says, Saul, I want you to know I'm not trying to kill you. I could have, but I'm not going to because I'm going to submit to you even though God has called me to replace you at some time. I'm going to let God's timing play out. Now, that is, I know it's like we read past it really quick. It's unbelievably humble to be patient, to not push someone else out of the way to get our position that we think we deserve or that we own. Are you with me? Are you, are you still with me? It's this, this move of humility and pride just continues to say you deserve, you've earned, you've demanded, you, like all of this. Now, last week, um, uh, Cam talked about a little passage in James that says, what's causing all these quarrels and fights within you? Well, it's your, it's your internal motives. You want what you don't have. And so you're fighting and you're scheming and you're hurting other people. Like pride is pushing you to do that. And then James says this. God gives grace generously. Don't we love that? Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Three of you, thankful for God's grace today. Come on, aren't you thankful for God's grace and that God is generous with his grace? He pours his grace out. I love that little verse right there. God gives his grace generously. And then there's this little tag, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and, and I like to give a nod to that verse. That's okay. That's good. Because we don't see in ourselves sometimes the ugly that's there. We don't see pride. We usually don't see pride in ourselves. We usually identify it in other people a lot more quickly than we see it in ourselves. Yeah, there's no amen to that one. And then, <laughs> and then I really would rather skip this next verse, which says, so humble yourselves before God. Let's just skip that one. Let's stick with God gives grace generously. Let's go back to that one. Come on. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Forget about the humble thing. Let's just keep going at it and get it, you know, and humble yourselves, I guess, and resist the devil. He'll flee from it. Okay, whatever. Come close to God. Oh, I like that one. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. That's good. And, and then humble again. So let's leave that one alone. So we, we like to pick and choose the pieces, but God, through Scripture, wants to draw us in closer and closer. And so the Scripture says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's this call and listen, there's a difference between being humbled and choosing humility. There's a difference between being humbled and choosing humility. Uh, when, when I was in high school, I've told you this story uh, before that I was, uh, I was the quarterback of the high school football team. And only by God's grace, because I'm not very, I don't have a very good arm. I can't throw the ball very well. And I'm serious about that. I was the quarterback of the football team. And my coach wanted me to learn humility. He knew that I would get some like pictures in the paper and all that kind of stuff. And so he wanted me to learn humility. So he made me clean the toilets in the locker room. So my job was to clean the toilets uh, in the locker room as the starting quarterback for all the other football players. And I learned in that, that there's a big difference between humbling yourself and being humbled by someone else. In other words, that lesson was just an activity for me that did not work on my heart in the same way where humbling myself before others would do something in me. Are you with me? There's a big difference between being forced toward humility and choosing humility. And scripture says, humble who? Yourself, humble yourself. And then it says this, resist the devil. 
And sometimes we don't know what that means. We, th- we think physically, does that mean like resist like something or someone or something? No, no, I think what it means is resist the voice in your head that tells you you deserve more and more and that you've earned more and more. Resist that and eventually it will begin to flee from you. The more you ignore the voice in your head that calls you to be puffed up, the quieter that voice will become in your life the quieter that voice will become in your life. Come close to God. Like, tell God that you need him. It's back to Hannah, back to that first lesson. Come close to God. Humble yourself before God, and God will come close to you. What a promise. What a beautiful promise. And then, humble yourself before the Lord, and God will lift you up in honor, in his due time. Humble yourself before the Lord, and in his time, in God's time, he will lift you up. What a, what a promise. What an incredible promise. I remember this phrase from years ago about Jesus, and it stuck with me for, for all these years, descending into greatness. Usually we think about ascending into greatness, right? I'm climbing the ladder, uh, but descending into greatness is what what Jesus did. That even though he had status with God, it wasn't something that he clung to, but he willingly gave it up, became a servant, a human, and he gave up his life. He even died on the cross. Jesus made statements like this, the last will be first. You remember that? The last will be first. Anyone among you who wants to be great should become a servant. In leadership circles, business owners, managers, you guys, you've heard this. Ladies, you've heard this, right? That uh, servanthood leadership is the best way to lead, but only when that's the pure motive of your heart. Uh, in, In Romans, Paul says this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. So, so he's thinking, he, he's helping us with our, our, our mindset, uh, the, the illusory uh, superiority, that, that cognitive bias that we had. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, he's using uh, that word sober is one that we understand, right? He's saying don't, don't, don't get drunk on yourself, Let's change the, the way that we're, we're thinking about it. Don't get drunk on yourself, but rather, like, limit your thoughts. Have, have sober, sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Um, Andrew Murray, who was a theologian, said this, Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. That's pretty good. Like pride must die in us for God's kingdom to take hold and shape of our hearts and to take up resonance within us. Okay, let's get practical. Are you ready to get practical? Like what what can we do? And uh, I I believe that humility is like a garden. I I think it's something that, that we must constantly nurture and work at uh, and lean into for it to actually take root and begin to bear fruit. So humility isn't just something we achieve. It's, it's a constant movement and, and, and nurturing. So I picked four ideas for this week. And these might be helpful for you. You might need some other homework. But we're going to start with this homework. Maybe as, and maybe it will stir something in you. 
And um, the last two weeks, um, Cameron and Sarah picked on me. And what they forgot is that I get the mic back. <laughs> and they made statements about how I don't like uh, alliteration because my dad was a preacher and he always used alliteration. Like, I've got three points and they all start with P. And so they picked on me, if you were here the last couple weeks, and kind of made fun of me. And so I decided today that I'm gonna use alliteration for our homework um, just as a nod to Cameron and, and Sarah. So are you with me? So a little alliteration maybe will be helpful. So here we go. The first one, uh, patience. Patience, like practiced patience brings about some humility in our lives. And, and uh, a couple of ideas of how this might play out. If you're driving down Shea, <laughs> choose the slow lane and stay there. <laughs> I know it's a crazy idea, and I don't know if I'll ever do it, but for you, <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Like practicing patience uh, over and over again, if you're at Sprouts or Albertsons or Safeway or wherever it is, Walmart, wherever you shop, um, choose the longest line instead of the shortest line. And what it begins to do in you is it, it, it takes out of your mind the, the hurry that is always present. Like what I'm doing is more important than what all these people are doing. Because that's what it means when we're on the road and we're yelling at everybody who's driving too slow. What we're saying is my journey is much more important than your journey. And so like practiced patience in those moments reminds us that we're not the center of the universe. And for some of us as drivers, not me, but some of you, <laughs> we need to be reminded of that. So practice patience, like choose the long line. Some of you are like, there is no way I'm doing that this week. I can see you, you're like, I'm not doing it. And your spouse is like nudging you, like you need it. And you're just like, Matt's crazy. Let's move on to the next one. Okay, second one, another P, posture of servanthood. Some of these I had to work at. Posture of servanthood. Um, so often we walk through life with the mindset, not everybody, this isn't everybody, there's, there's just some of us who walk through life and our view of other people has to do with what they can do for us, how they can help us, how they can serve us. And like moving towards humility, nurturing humility, is, is, a, is a shift in mindset that rather than everybody like is working to help me, I, I'm going to actually have a posture of serving the people around me. How can I lift them up? What can I do for my server at the restaurant? Now that would be a shift, wouldn't it? Like why can't he bring me the, the salt that I ask for? Like how long is it gonna take him to bring my ranch dressing so I can dip my pizza in it? Anybody? Like, what would it look like for, for you to have a posture of servanthood towards those that you usually think are there to serve you? Employees, you know, those, those, those different um, pieces. C.S. Lewis, and many of us have read some C.S. Lewis, uh, says this, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not this idea that I'm, oh, I'm going to think of myself as a terrible person all the time, and that's what's going to bring about humility. No, it's just like I'm not going to think about myself as much as I tend to think about myself. It's a blessed self-forgetfulness, right? That I'm going to forget myself in the flow of living life with other people. That's, that's a beautiful picture of, of humility. Uh, we have a serve week coming up at McDowell in November and uh, mcdowell.church slash serve week. And we're creating all these opportunities to help us do this very thing, to, to think less, um, to think about ourselves less and think about other people more. And serving is one of the ways that we do that. Um, number three, and, and maybe this week it's that serving of other people. Number three um, is a practiced sacrifice. To, to go through your week and your, your month with some sort of practiced sacrifice that you're choosing so that God might nurture and bring about humility in your life. Now, um, some of you are going to hate this, what I'm about to say, but I think it's one of the reasons it's in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, God talks quite a bit about tithing. And tithing is this practice in the Old Testament about giving 10% of your income to the work of God. And some of us don't like to talk about that. When we go to church, we're like, oh, the preacher's always going to talk about money. And you guys know I hate talking about money. I don't like to talk about it. The idea of practice sacrifice, and I think sometimes giving and generosity is this very thing, that I'm going to choose to withhold something that I want or that I think I deserve or that I could afford to buy for myself in order to, to support something else somewhere else, the work of God or a nonprofit or something like that. So hear, hear my heart here. Um, I mean, I love when you give generously to McDowell, but I also love generously when you, when you give generously to other nonprofits. But the, the point is that when we practice sacrifice in our life, and we say no to the things that we want or we think we deserve, it does something to, to cultivate humility. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So there's a number of ways that you can do that, but it's a sacrifice for the good of something else. And then the last one is this, promote or encourage other people. Like just lift other people up. Uh, one of the uh, pastors that, that I think does this so well that, I, that I've looked up to um, is Brian Houston. And Brian Houston is a pastor of Hillsong Church over in Australia. And Brian Houston, um, throughout his, his life, um, has worked to build up and promote those around him instead of, him instead of himself. And so Hillsong Music has just like exploded over the last 15, 20 years, right? I mean, some of us have heard of Hillsong music and a lot of the songs that we sing on Sunday, Hillsong. Um, and a lot of that has been uh, Brian Houston, who's, who's a good preacher, pastor, saying, I want to lift up the gifts of those around me. And many of those were worship gifts. Uh, it started with Darlene Check. I don't know, some of you might remember Darlene Check. There was this old song called Shout to the Lord. That was like the first one I remember. And he like lifted her up. And, and what it did is it, it brought glory to who? Not Darlene, because many of you don't know Darlene's name, to God, right? That's, that's that work of humility for God to do more with what we have than what we can do on our own. Um, 
I want to, uh, we're, we're going to close with, uh, with this last song called Surrounded and, and Fight My Battles. And it's this song and, and declaration that um, we don't fight in the world like the world fights. That we humble ourselves as followers of Jesus. Like we follow that path of humility. And for us, it isn't a, a war against other people. For us, it's, it's a war against evil, the, the, the principalities and these, these uh, thoughts that are going on. And, and, and this song is just that declaration that we're going to fight our battles in humility, not with power. So would you, would you stand with me? Um, and and the, the picture that I get in my mind, and, and um, I'll close with this, I promise. The picture that I get in my mind is this picture that Scripture gives us of the night that Jesus was arrested. I don't know if you remember this, this little story. That Jesus, um, the king of the universe, and there's so many little mysteries to this, this, little, this little picture, questions that I have about what it looked like and how it happened and all that, but... Jesus is in the garden with his closest followers. And the authority, some soldiers, come to arrest him. You remember what Peter did? Peter takes out a sword and he goes to fight. He cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus calls him says, whoa, 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 That's not how we do it in the kingdom. Like for us, the battle is not one of swords and that, that, like those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And Jesus heals in that moment his enemy. He heals his enemy. The one who's gonna arrest him, take him to trial and put him on a cross and kill him, he heals him. That's humility. To say, even if you come against me, I'm gonna choose the path of, of Jesus, the, the path of humility, not of pride and of power. So God, as we sing this final song and uh, continue to turn back to you, our hearts and our minds, um, God, I pray that you would do a work within us, all of us. My, God, I pray for my heart, which is prone to puffing itself up to conceit. It's, it's, it's prone to, to pride. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, just nurture some humility in me. Thank you for your love and thank you for your grace that you give generously.